This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 186 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. The long and shiny. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Kentucky Performance Products, simple solutions, scientifically proven. You can find them at kppusa.com. And our newest sponsor, Equity Manufacturing, the creators of the Shaken Fork and a bunch of other stuff that we're going to talk about. Find them online at equitymfg.com. Welcome to the Stable School, where weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. We'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenn the Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network See I was going to redo that opener Because I kind of messed it up at the end there But then I thought you'd want it in the bloopers So I didn't Thank you. This way it's not, the blooper reel isn't Helena heavy. I try and only put Helena things in the bloopers, but uh, every once in a while I have to concede and actually put myself in there. So hey. Then we should just call it the Helena reel instead of the blooper reel, because those two terms are just interchangeable. Yeah, the Helena blooper reel, they go together. It just fits. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a lot's happened since uh, we spoke last. Uh, last Friday, we had a show come out, and boy, you know, that afternoon, we were hunkered down in the tornado shelter here at the house, which we don't really have one of. It's more like the laundry room, hoping mm-hmm. the washer and dryer doesn't kill us. But uh, that was the scariest afternoon I've ever had last Friday here in Kentucky. Since we moved here, that was probably the scariest we've had. It was the first time that we've actually heard that there are tornado sirens here, and we heard them going off. Um, that was the first time we heard that, uh, mm-hmm. while living here. But, and then, uh, I got, I talked a lot about this on the morning show on horses in the morning on Monday morning. So if you want to hear the rest of the story, head over to horses in the morning and listen to, listen to the morning show there on Monday morning. And, and I, I go into great detail about it, but I ended up, uh, getting called up by the Red Cross. Regular listeners know that I'm a volunteer there. And what I help do is set up shelters. That's part of uh, my job with the Red Cross, and I got a call late Friday night that there were going to be shelters in western or in eastern Kentucky in the mountains, which is very strange because mm. tornadoes don't hit mountains. That What usually happens is because of the way the mountains are shaped, it causes the winds to do different things, and tornadoes usually don't develop, or do they stay in the mountains, you know? Right. So when I heard that, I thought it was kind of strange, and then uh, I heard on the news that uh, a large tornado had gone through the mountains of Kentucky out there, and had completely wiped out the town of West Liberty. Hmm. Um, so what, we headed out the next morning, Saturday morning, and there were five of us that came from Lexington, five Red Cross people, all pretty seasoned, having been out in the field and done, done shelters before, so I felt pretty good about that. 
And we got up there, and they had uh, already started opening the shelter there in the neighboring town of West Liberty. Now, neighboring town, let me describe this drive to you. We drive an hour east on the highway, major highway, Route 64. You get off Route 64 in this little town of Moorhead, and then you drive an hour through the twistiest, windiest mountain roads you can imagine. (laughs) And you end up in West Liberty. These are twisty, windy, you know, the thousand-foot drop-offs at the side. and Yes, uh, yeah. I know. You took me down these roads, and yeah. I had... <laughs> well, this uh, is in the mountains no. now, imagine. No. Switchbacks and all this stuff. It just was... It was incredible uh, scenery up there. And we knew something was going to be up, Helena, when uh, uh, coming the other way, about halfway up the hill, was... A flatbed truck with a state police car on it, and the state police car looked like somebody had taken a sledgehammer and, and just beat it to death. Every window was busted out, and it was just bruised and battered, and there was a tree limb sticking through the windshield into the driver's seat. So, you know, that kind of gave us an eerie feeling as we're heading up wondering what happened to that cop. And so we get up there, and I did, to to not lose my train of thought, and you never know what happens, I did actually talk to the sheriff up there a little later in the day, and he said that that state cop had gotten out of that car two seconds before the tornado hit into the barracks when the tornado hit, and that's what happened to his car. He would have been dead. Um, so, you know, it wasn't his time yet. As it was, apparently, he was, he, uh, they were kind of beat up from the barracks getting obliterated. But, uh, but he was lucky. One lucky guy who had had that branch through him. Um, so, you know, we, I, I talk a lot about it, uh, as I said on the morning show. I just wanted to say that I have never seen anything like that. We, we, had, we had to go from one shelter to another at one point, and the only way to get there was through the town of West Liberty. By that point, they had had it closed off and cordoned off. The military was there. The police were there. We went through three checkpoints to get to town, and then only only rescue people were allowed in town, and we were able to drive through to get to the other shelter. But um, I just never have ever experienced anything like that, where you're driving down a main street that every building has been destroyed or is damaged, that there are cars on top of buildings, there are cars in buildings, just the most eerie, heart-wrenching scene I think I've ever dr- driven into. Hmm. It was like driving through a war zone. And this tornado was a mile wide. So this entire main street of this little town was, was gone. The, the entire town was gone. Um, it just took a direct hit. And there wasn't one house, one building that wasn't either destroyed or damaged to beyond recognition. And so, the, and you, the tornado was a mile wide. It was a mile wide at that point. This tornado, now they said, ha- stayed on the ground for ninety miles through the mountains. And I mean, these are the Appalachian Mountains. Mm. They stayed on the ground for ninety miles through Kentucky into West Virginia, and that's how far this went. There were they're still looking for people that are missing out in the outer lying parts of the mountains that they don't even know about yet or can't get to. Um, it was just, you know, and then the stories, you know, we had about 100 people in the shelter, and the stories from them about what they lived through were just amazing stuff. Well, describe for us what, it, what was scary about the afternoon in your own home and town, which was spared by this, but what was... Um, well, what was so scary is what you, made knew, it scary? you knew we were watching the Weather Channel or the local news here, actually. The local station had constant up-to-date radar coverage. 
and you know you knew that it was dropping tornadoes west of us heading our direction you could tell by the you know everybody's learned to read radar a little bit when you move down here you learn to read it and you know when there's a lot of purples uh, in, in the radar, that's not good. If it goes to purple in the center of those storms, if it goes to black in the center of those storms, that's really not good. Right. And we've sort of learned now watching the tornado chasing uh, shows, we've learned how to read the radar and where the hooks are at the end of the storms is where the tornadoes are. Well, oh. These storms look like fish hooks. I mean, you knew there were tornadoes in those storms. Um, and you could see them, you know, out in Louisville area and in Indiana, and then the same storms in Western Kentucky were putting tornadoes down, and then you saw them come in your direction, and we were like, well, you know, it's just a matter of whether we get that storm or not, you know? Right. Um, and it got to the point where the color of the sky, the tornado's going to hit, usually the color of the sky will change from a, uh, a black, you know, black boiling clouds to a greenish color. And it got to the point where the sky was turning green. And that's when we knew we had to get to the self-shelter. And the other problem with these tornadoes this time was that they were traveling up to 60 miles an hour. So imagine a car barreling down the highway. That's the speed of the tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an idea, the one guy took a picture uh, that was in our shelter, took a picture of the tornado. He, he had just gone outside to make sure his neighbors were in the house. This is over in West Liberty. He took a picture of the tornado coming over the top of the mountain about four miles away. He said, by the time I clicked that picture and looked up, the tornado was at the end of my street. Oh, my gosh. That's how fast these things were moving. So you don't have time to, you know, wait to see it and then admire it and look at it and then run in the house. Right. It, it wasn't that way. And that's, that's what caught a lot of people off guard is how fast they were moving. Uh, so I think that's what made it extra scary was the sky. And there was reports of hail everywhere, golf ball size hail, and mm. then baseball size hail in some places. Uh, they were, we did, got a lot of hail around Lexington. Um, so we knew that, you know, this, this one was bad and that, that, you know, we had to be serious. And then when our, uh, tornado sirens went off, then we knew, cause that's the first time we've actually heard them since living here. <clears throat> so yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was definitely scary stuff. I, I have no words. I know. And there were a lot of horses lost. I wanted to mention that there were <laughs> a lot of horses lost. One farm, uh, north of Lexington on the way to Cincinnati lost 20 of his 21 quarter horse show horses. Oh, God. Yeah, he, um, they were in the barn, and the barn collapsed in on them. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were a couple cases. I posted a video. I don't know if you saw that, of the chopper flying over a barn where all the horses were in the stalls. And uh, all the horses lived and didn't, weren't even that injured when the roof blew off the barn. So I guess it all depends, you know, which direction your roof heads. And we always yeah. have that question. You put them in the barn, yeah. you leave them out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then um, you, just, you can't have an answer to that. There is no, it's not in tornado country. Well, in a tornado, and like I, I think with the hurricane, I, I'm still in the camp of you put them in because they have less chance of dying of flying debris. Right. Because the debris, when you see the pictures of some of the cars that were in these tornadoes in West Liberty, and they were just sitting in a parking lot of the hospital, and they look like, They've rolled 50 times, and they didn't. That was just from the debris hitting them. Mm. You know, you realize if any human or horse gets hit by that, they're dead. You know, they're, they're not going to make it. So there were a lot of horses affected, and the Kentucky Horse Council, well, if you remember right, Helena, they're the ones we helped 
that helped out the last time we did our fundraiser, Horse World yes. Gives Back. Yep, Horse World Gives Back. Well, they've reactivated that fund for the benefit of everybody that's been affected. It, if you go to KentuckyHorse.com, they're taking donations there if you'd like to help the people who lost horses or have huge vet bills coming up here or just lost their properties. Um, with the r- latest rash of tornadoes last week, uh, it's KentuckyHorse.org. You can donate there. We so, have a show to do, don't we? I know. We have a show to do, and we have a guest to call and, and talk to. But first, let's talk about equity manufacturing because I got to try out the pitchfork that you have. I, I can't call it a pitchfork. It's a manure fork. It's a manure fork. You know, I, I have to apologize to the people from Equity because they said, well, these aren't pitchforks. Well, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, which is the heart of Amish country and Dutch country, everything that had a time was called a pitchfork. You know, that's just what we called them. And I think I was confusing some people. Manure fork. Manure fork. All right. And right. we said last week, you know, our little tagline that we created was, you know, uh, the Equity makes cleaning stalls fun. And I got to tell you... That I tried the flex and fork. That's the one that you have, that you fell in love with. Yes. I really like it. Now, there was a couple things when you first start using it. It's a little heavier. Uh, uh, yes. So you have just to get a, rid of it being a little bit, you got to get used to being a little bit heavier. But I wanted to try it out. So I cleaned a stall, and we, we used a mini tines. They come in two different sizes. There's the standard and then the fine tine or mini tine. And we use uh, the pelleted bedding. So we used the mini tine fork then. Uh, if you use shavings and things like that, you'd use the standard fork. Well, this thing was so nice. I mean, it, it just it did work very nicely, and the tines seemed to be just the right uh, uh, amount apart that you don't end up with the little pieces of poop turd that you always find, you know, right. that all fall through the fork and really makes you mad because you can't get them no matter what you do. And Jennifer laughs at me because it takes me an hour to muck two stalls. <laughs> well, that's true. But that was why. Well, until I got my, my flexing fork. So, yeah, so you, you like the tines? The spacing of the tines were good for you? Yes, I thought they were great. I thought the balance was good on it. You know how some you use and they're just not balanced real well. Yeah. I, I, I like The balance that. is good. I yeah. really liked it. But then I thought, well, you know, i got to test this thing because one of the things it's known for is that it's got the tough tines, that they're not going to break, that they won't right. break. So I right. thought, well, there's some pile, there's this, been, this pile of like twigs and leaves and branches out at the farm that's been sitting there forever and i knew it was going to be all bound up and stuff and i thought i'm going to go just put this thing to the test so i was raking with it and i was jamming it through this pile of branches and stuff and i did everything i could to break a tine and i could not break it mm-hmm. i mean i did everything i, I really tried because i thought well i'm gonna <laughs> give it to the test here i'll be buying another 49 dollars <laughs> this is why we do glenn and i are so different on the outside but man deep down inside we want to break that i was floor. trying to break i really was trying to break it i you know i was beaten on the thing it didn't break it didn't bend they didn't yeah. they didn't bend a little bit you know how the other ones will bend the cheap ones will bend all the time yeah these didn't bend they didn't break and you can tell when you actually get the fork that the the tines are made of something different. You know, it's a, it's made much more solid than the other ones are. Yeah, it's an industrial piece. It's like a piece of industrial equipment. And I, now I got to try out the one we'll be talking about here coming up next week, the Shaken Fork. And that is the one that uh, actually shakes, rattle, rattles, and rolls. So the Shaken Fork is going to be the one that actually has a little motor in it, and it shakes. You, you have to, do, like, do no work. I can't wait to try that one because that's, like, a guy thing. So It's a total guy. That's a horse husband approved 
item. But then, but it, the, if you if it wants to be approved by the official horse husband, America's horse husband, I'm waiting to see what you have to say. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna test that one. But I like this one. Jennifer used it. She liked it. I think that that's one we're gonna be bringing to Florida with us and uh, using down there because down there now we'll have sand. So. The horse will be out all the time. We'll have to be cleaning up the, the pasture areas. Yes. And, and most of that sand, so it's a little bit different down there than it is here. But you could get caught on the, on the roots of the trees and things like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I gave it a test. I see why you like it. Yep. And, and you'll like it even more. The more you use it, the more you will appreciate it. Yeah. It just gets even better with time. Now, I can see some people might want to complain about the weight, but I got used to that. I didn't even think about it after about two minutes. It it, was, uh, it, it's negligible. Yeah. You, you notice it at first because you make that initial switch, but right. it's so it's negligible. You, you kind of forget about it and you just go on and look, your, your, your guns will be bigger. Your um, guns will be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so that is at equity, E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G dot com. Equity M-F-G dot com. These cost a little bit more than you'll find uh, the cheapy pitchforks cost. Manure forks, sorry, get that right here one of these days. They're $49, but they are worth it. You need one of these, you won't, you won't need, you'll, you'll be using this for a long time to come. This thing won't break on you. You won't be buying a new one every three months for the barn. So go check it out. It's called the Flex and Fork. It's uh, at equitymfg.com. Horse husband approved. Stamp. All right, let's get on with our guest. Who's coming up? We have um, Karen, and now I've, I don't know how to pronounce her last name very well, but I'm going to say it. Karen Shatton, and she is a totally rad endurance rider, and she's going to talk to us all about endurance riding. She has a really cool blog called EnduranceRideStuff.com. She, I, I've never seen a collection of information as thorough and relevant um, about endurance riding. I mean, she's, I call her the Jennifer of endurance discipline because she just, she's just such a wonderful um, uh, person, point person to collect and then reshare this information about endurance. If you are uh, a newbie rider or you're a pro, she's been in Endurance News Magazine. Um, this woman knows her stuff. So we're going to have Karen on to talk to us about what it's like to be an endurance rider and those really cool Arabs and those really cool boots and all the gear and the places they go. So uh, we're going to say a big fat welcome to Karen. Thank you for coming on Stable Scoop today, Karen. I'm really happy you're here. Um, you are, well, actually, you're not technically here. You're, you're someplace beautiful right now. Where are you? Um, I'm in northern Nevada. I'm really close to Lake Tahoe. I'm in a town called Gardnerville. And is it, what, what's the weather like there these days? Is it cold and snowy? Or well, actually, yes. This morning it was 14, degree, 14 degrees. Yesterday afternoon it was like 20 degrees and snowing, which was a, quite an abrupt change because I just came home from a ride in Southern California where it was in the 80s. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I know 14 degree days. It's, you know, I'm in New England, so I, I'm no stranger oh, to that. Okay. Okay. Um, that's quite, quite the temperature shock. Uh, mm-hmm. I know nothing. Glenn has a little more experience talking to endurance riders. I know nothing about it, but I think it's one of those really cool things. To me, endurance horses are like superheroes. You might as well put capes on them. Um, uh-huh. But it's this, it's this great enigma to me. So tell us a little bit about um, the kind of endurance riding that you do and how you got started in it? Um, well, I got started mainly because I went on a camping trip with some friends to Roby Park, which is based the base camp for the start of Tevis now. 
And I sat around camp at a campfire and listened to all these great stories from all these endurance riders. And from that moment forward, I wanted to do the tennis. And it took me about three or four years to reach that goal to finally be able to complete the tennis. But in the meantime, I totally got hooked on the sport. I totally, you know, started going to rides all over in different states. And I got really hooked on it because it's so much fun. The people are a lot of fun, and I really just enjoy riding my horse and getting to see all this great country. I've made a lot of friends, and it's just um, it's just a whole lot of fun. So what then, again, me being the ignorant newbie here, okay. what, is, what is Tevis? The Tevis Cut is it's also called the Western States Trail, and it's, I believe, getting close to its 60th year. You can correct me later. I'm not exactly sure, but... Um, it's a 100-mile point-to-point endurance ride that starts in Truckee, California, and goes to Auburn, California. And it's kind of known as the big daddy of all endurance riders. Most of the riders I know um, want to do it or want to aspire to do it if they haven't already. It's um, one of those big goals that we all kind of want to be able to accomplish at least once. And what makes it so big? Is it the distance or is it the challenge of the terrain or both? It's, it's challenge the distance and the challenge and just um you know kind of just the accomplishment of being able to succeed and do something that is so difficult only about 50 percent of the starting field finishes the ride oh now let me tell you she's understating this helena this (laughs) is a very i would not walk this ride. <laughs> you don't because walk to the bathroom the si- from the TV. You're at the <laughs> side of cliffs. I mean, when you take a look, if you go to teviscup.org and you take a look at some of the pictures that of the where the riders are in this thing, we're talking the sides of mountains and rocky, craggy, you know, stuff that nobody could walk, let alone a horse and a rider. This is the this is the Mac Daddy of of uh, endurance and, rides. And more than 40,000 feet of total elevation gain and loss. Okay. So, so it's quite quite a challenge. So not only does your horse have to be in shape, you have to be in shape for this baby. You sure do. You sure do. It helps long, a lot to be How long does it take to, oh my gosh, the photograph on the Tavis Cup team? Wait, all right, yeah. I No. <laughs> I got a real good picture last time I did it. Um, and I did it in 2010, I think it was on my horse bow. And we finished around three 30 in the morning. And I think we were 31st or 32nd out of about 180 horses that started. Wow. Good um, for you. Thank you. It was, I had one of the best rides ever. Um, and I've, I've completed it three times out of four starts. So I'm on a roll because I've made the last three in a row. Wow. Yeah, okay. So now I'm starting to get a little understanding of just how significant that, that challenge is. Take me to, um, let's talk about the horses. So um, it, it, clearly it looks like Arabs are the preferred breed. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're predominantly um you know, a high percentage of the horses in the sport are Arabs or part Arabs. But people do well on all sorts of breeds. They do well on, you know, quarter horses and Appaloosas and gated horses. There's quite a few different breeds that participate that also do well. And it's what about their... here on an Arab. They're a little more suited for it right off the bat. Oh, I'll tell you, owning a, a half Arab, uh, these things uh-huh. can survive anything. I mean, you definitely see how... <laughs> Uh, genetically, they are designed to um, 
survive their environments. And, and yeah. no, no matter what the environment, I've never seen such an adaptable mammal besides humans. Uh-huh. Um, they excel at it and they, and they love it. You know, it's great when you have a horse that loves his job. It's just it's the best feeling in the world. So how do you, what's their state of mind during um, one of your endurance rides? Are they like, let's go, go, go? Or is it all business? Um, is it fun well, to them? Oh, yes, it's fun. They love to go. The fitter they get, the more they want to go. So I have to really concentrate and um, put a lot of effort into rating them so that they don't go too fast and, you know, get overtired or strain something and become injured. So I put a lot of effort into trying to write as consistently as I can. And when I'm doing, like, say, 100, I tend to ride, like, from one butt check to the next. And I'm always thinking in my mind, I have 24 hours to complete the 100 so that it, no matter how tired I get, I think, you know what, in 24 hours from now, I'm going to be in bed asleep and it's going to be over so I can get through this. Right, um, right. If I'm, if I'm doing a multi-day ride where we do day after day after day, then I just, I think, okay, great. I'm, you know, however far through the ride and then I'm going to get to rest and then I get to do it all over again the next day. So I always try to keep a positive attitude and I'm always looking forward to getting to ride again. And that, that kind of is what keeps me going. Um, you know, it's nice to try to stay as positive as I can and to appreciate that I'm able to do this and that I'm fortunate enough to have horses that, that can and that I'm just able to be there and enjoy it because, you know, a lot of people can't or, um, you know, it's just too difficult for them to be able to either afford the horses or the time off work to go and, and do this. But um, once you're out there, I mean, all your troubles melt away and hmm. you just have a good time. I got to tell you, you said uh, about moderating the, you know, at the beginning of the race, I was. Uh-huh. I, I've seen a, a couple of endurance races, and the most recent one that I saw was the World Equestrian Games here in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh-huh. there was no moderation at the beginning of that race. Everybody <laughs> took off <laughs> like it was a hundred-yard dash. They were yeah, out of there. It, it is, and in and, and the endurance at the FEI levels, racing, those horses are turning out hundreds in six and seven hours. I'm doing a 50 in eight or nine hours, okay. so it's a little bit different. They are racing, and those horses are trained and prepared to go that fast all day long from the start to the end. My horses, I, I tend to have goals that are more geared towards longevity, and therefore <laughs> I'm more interested in keeping my horses um, and minimizing the wear and tear on them and just keeping them healthy and sound for a long period of time. Um, well, Helena, can I ask the can I ask the question that everybody wants to know? And we're we're all horse people uh-huh. here, so we we can ask okay. this question without getting in trouble. Um, okay, so you're in the saddle for for you know from morning, and, and in the Tevis case, you might be in the saddle till three a.m. So you're uh-huh. you're in the saddle for a very long time. Okay, you know uh-huh. those of us that ride an hour or two every once in a while, we got blisters. How do you oh, control the uh-huh. blisters on your body, including your butt? I mean. Well, you get blisters on your butt? If you sit in the saddle that long, I'm going to have blisters on my butt. You are such a wimp. Well, <laughs> I could probably help you with that. I, I just passed riding the 31,000 miles last weekend. And, oh, and well, I've never had a blister on my butt anyways. Um, thank you. But 
that's where endurance tack and riding gear can be really helpful for any horse rider because it's geared towards being able to stay in the saddle for, you know, 24 hours at a time or for a week at a time without becoming sore um, for the rider and for the horse. So there's a lot of great gear and tack out there. People are interested to look towards the endurance riding um, tack and clothing and gear and all that kind of stuff. It can really help alleviate the discomfort. Well, you know, and I'm, Part part of the way I found you was, um, well, the way I found you was through your blog and um, uh-huh. endurance endurance ride stuff dot com, uh, and I noticed um, you had actually featured uh, these trailer ties, these really cool like arms, these metal arms that come out off your uh-huh. trailers, and I, and I thought, oh my god, that is just absolute brilliance. Um, and then uh-huh. of course I started reading through your blog, and I noticed. Um, the gear is very, it's a very prominent part of the photographs that feature you riding. And I, uh-huh. I think understanding just how far and how physically significant endurance riding is, that the gear is just so, so very important. Um, let's start with the boots. Does everybody okay. use boots? And if so, why? Now, are you talking hoof boots for the whole I am. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I use Renegade hoof boots on my horses. I prefer the strap-on boots just because they're easy to put on and off. And my horses um, do really well in them. The horse I just rode 100 miles last weekend um, wore them on the ride, and they work really great. I don't have any rubbing or chafing problems. And they stay on pretty well, and you have an occasional one that might turn or something like that. But for the most part, they do stay on really well. Um, it takes a little bit of trial and error to learn how to fit the boots and how to choose the one that's going to fit and work the best for your horse. Right. Um, I've ridden uh, my horse, Granite Chief. He's passed 12,000 miles now, and he's done um, roughly 10,000 of that using boots. And, and I like using boots because it allows me to keep my horses barefoot the rest of the time. Right, right. I, I do I do too. I mean I want I want to see boots in the hunter jumper world. <laughs> I know Glenn laughs, uh-huh. but nobody's but I think um so it's really not just because the terrain is so hard on their feet, but it's it's a compromise in terms of protecting them during competition and the terrain and not having to put metal shoes on them. It is. It's nice okay. not having to use the metal shoes anymore and also to give them protection and I think the boots actually protect their feet overall better than a metal shoe does because Mm. it protects the entire bottom of the foot and um, also the heel bulb area. And, um, you know, when they work for you, then that's great. I've had friends that have been boot challenged and have gone back to shoeing because they weren't able to work out whatever issues they might have been having. But, But then you're seeing a growing number of endurance riders in general, that are going to using the boots and maintaining the horses barefoot the rest of the time, and it's working really well. And the boots themselves are, they, or the boot manufacturers and the the resulting boots are evolving as they become a more popular uh, shoeing right. option for for folks. Yeah, I see that. Yes, yeah, they're getting better and better all the time. And um, and yeah, when you asked about boots, I had to make a comment here. Um, Years ago, when I first started my horse, Chief, every so often he'd interfere on a hind ankle, just very rarely. So I started to wear an ankle boot on that one ankle. 
And so now for the last years and years and years, every time I'm writing down the trail and someone doesn't know me yet, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, you're missing a boot. And then I have to look and see if my hoof boots are all there. So now it's kind of an ongoing joke with me when someone asks me or says something about a boot, I have to say, well, which ones are you talking about? The one on his ankle? Cause, and so now he really, I don't think he interferes anymore, but it's like Michael Jackson with the single glove thing. I keep using that one ankle boot on Chief, mainly for good luck, and it has actually worked quite well because he's been a very successful horse for me. Well, I, I can so. see it in that photo of uh, Endurance News. I, I said, "Is she missing a boot? <laughs> the ankle boot on? It's his. Is it? Yeah. It's his right hand? You said." that's on purpose and I've actually had riders uh, argue with me when, when I said no I'm really not missing a boot it's intentional you know and it's like yeah. I was just trying to help you out and I'm like well thank you but um it's really on purpose just the one boot so well the other thing I saw I noticed about um gear and equipment I couldn't really tell from the photo photos I was looking at but it looks like some number of horses um are bitless that there's some uh, you know uh-huh. your bridles are different um you know can you go 100 miles with a bit in the horse's mouth are there more comfortable options what's that like for you the can, you know if you're doing multi-days and stuff it's nice to be able to change what you're riding your horse in so that they don't um get chafing or rubs or sores just from having the same whether it's a bit or even a hack more on their nose in the same spot for that many hours um, and I have changed back and forth on my horses often. Mine are currently both in bits because they're so strong and I don't like to have to pull on them. And right. I can rate them a lot easier with the bit. With a hackmore, it depends on their mood and the ride and the situation. They both can and have done well in a hackmore. Um, but then there's times where um, they're just too competitive and they just want to run their nose right through it. Yeah, and and I and I and so I know some people are, are, have adverse reactions to bits, but um, it, it's also dangerous to have a horse that you can't control. And if you can't rate him very well, he's going to make himself sore, pulling and fussing. And um, you'll see a lot of the ride photos where the horses might be ridden in a halter or a hackmore, and their heads are up and their backs are all hollowed out. And you know that's not good for the horse either. So you kind of have to find a compromise that works for your individual horse. Yeah, that sounds fair and, and okay. logical. <laughs> fair and logical. Mm-hmm. Two words you don't always hear in the horse world. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and, and that's what's great about endurance riding is we, we do have the freedom to choose and do what works best for each of us in our own situations, which is one of the reasons why I like it so much. Yeah, the rules don't necessarily dictate what kind of hardware, what kind of equipment that exactly. you use. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Helena, I'm looking at the pictures here on that uh, website you, you had me go to, and I'm seeing pictures from all different kinds of rides, and I'm looking at the one in Death Valley. And by the way, Karen, in case you didn't know, uh-huh. Death Valley was given that name for a reason. Um, <laughs> and I think it was that you're not supposed to ride 100 miles through it. But my question for you is, where is where uh-huh. where would you say is the most exotic place that you rode that you went, this is just breathtaking, I can't believe I'm here? Oh my gosh. Well, that is, that would be a really tough question because I've seen so much great country. You know, I love the desert in the winter when there's a storm, the lighting, um, the clouds. I mean, I, I really, I'm one of those people that really appreciate that, but I also love 
you know, some of the, the trails in Utah where we're up at high elevation in the high country and there's snow on the peaks and our creeks running and birds chirping. And I mean, that's just also gorgeous too. Um, so gosh, I'd have a really hard time. Bryce Canyon is, is one of my favorite rides because of all the orange and pink colored cliffs and hoodoos. Um, Grand Canyon is also a favorite because we ride there usually during the fall colors and it's so just colorful and gorgeous. Um, my gosh, Tevis is also a really great, you know, you're in the, the Sierras and those views are also breathtaking. Um, um, gosh, it's, it's tough to just narrow it down to one or even five or 10, um, well, I appreciate do, all of it. Do you so. have a chance to enjoy it, or are you so into the the moment and the ride and the race that you 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 find yourself not looking around and you get done and you go, I just didn't see any of that. Oh no, I quite take the time to enjoy the view, and I got you'll see on my blog plenty of photos that I take showing the the scenery and stuff. Um, I definitely take it all in. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm more geared towards the longevity of my horses than trying to race. Um, you know, um, to me, it's, you know, to finish is to win and to have a horse that lasts for a period of years is more important than saying, you know, I won or whatever. Right. Do you, will that actually, of course, um, I'm, my brain is like a hundred steps ahead of this whole conversation. When you were, when, um, when you start out, what's the average length of a moderately competitive endurance ride? Is it 50, you know, is it 25 miles? Is it a hundred miles? Well, some people start out doing the 25, especially if they haven't spent a lot of time previously around horses. Um, you know, years ago, I have friends that started out and Tevis was their first endurance ride. Um, okay. So it's just all very individual. Any, both of the horses I'm riding now were both started out on multi-day rides um, of 50 miles each day. So and, if, um, then, then let's just say, okay, let's, let's take 50 miles for an example then. During okay. that 50 miles, um, at what point, you know, I know, one, like you said, one of the challenges is how do I rate my horse? I have got a horse who's just go, go, go. And part of what you have to do is, uh-huh. is rate them. Uh, is there a point within the ride um, that they've sort of gotten all that energy out and then they, they're now, things have died down to a dull roar or a nice rolling pace and then you can sort of enjoy the ride. Uh-huh. And then does Definitely, it wind down yeah. towards the end where they're like, I'm tired, can we just walk well, across the finish line? Yeah, you know, it, it just, it depends on the horse. Um, you know, if the horse has done the ride before, he's going to know where camp is. So he's going to be a little more enthusiastic about coming into the finish, especially if he's fit. If he has no idea where the finish is, he may just sort of be going, wow, when is this going to end? But it's all very individualistic. And, and that's why I, I, some of my favorite rides have been the point-to-point rides, where we ride from point A to point B. And Tevis is like that. You ride from point A to point B. And that's great for the horses, for their mind, because it teaches them um, you know, to just go and not to be worrying about when are we going to turn around and head back to camp. Right. Right. And then that kind of adds to the sense of adventure. Well, okay. Now, my next question, because I have 100 million of them. Uh-huh. Now, the more okay. you talk, the more I want to <laughs> I want to do endurance. Okay. Um, do you, what do you do? You're talking about fitness level. So the more fit a horse is, um, that their fitness level is going to change the way they ride uh, a trail. 
So on the days where they're not riding or they're not competing, let's say, how do you manage a horse who's that fit? Either on the ground or when you're just going for a leisurely recreational ride? Or is there such a thing in your world? It, it, yes, and then that also, too, varies depending on the number of competitions you attend. Somebody like me, I attend a lot of, a lot more than the average endurance rider. So my horses tend to, I try to give them as much of a break in between rides as I can. I like for each horse to be ridden at least two times the week before an endurance ride that's coming up. And this last year, my horses had, I think, probably one of the best years they've ever had, the two of them completed 3,600 miles between both of them. And so I, I gave them breaks in between. And when I went back to riding them, they were just the most obnoxious, <laughs> maniacal. Oh, my gosh. They were horrible. I thought, oh, I, you know, I shouldn't have let them have so much time off. But now they're, they've gotten back into the uh, work ethic mode, and now they're behaving much better. But um, when they're really fit and you give them a break, you do have to be really careful bringing them back because they're going to be really, really strong and obnoxious. So that's just something to watch for. Ah, that goes away after 50 miles. <laughs> Um, so, so it now, <laughs> what, now if my wife's looking at getting in, uh, to endurance, how do you start? What, you know, and I know that sounds like a dumb question, but for people that have been doing fox hunting and been doing, you know, mm-hmm. eventing and things, you, they usually go to a trainer or, or some, you know, a mm-hmm. coach of some sort to get started and what you do first. So I guess the question is, what do you do first if you if you're brand new, you've been doing other horse sports, and now you want to you want to try endurance? What's the first step? Well, I think the first thing might be to to start to read and learn about endurance, and the internet's a great resource for that. Um, the American Endurance Ride Conference um, website it's uh, aerc.org. And they have um, pages for newbie riders and people that are interested in learning more about endurance. Um, there's also EnduranceNet and any other number of um, endurance riders that are blogging, like myself, about the sport that, um, that they can go and learn about, um, pick up a couple of books. There's some good books out there on the topic. And then just start to, you know, assimilate it all together and then um, – AARC also has a mentor program where they can find out, you know, first look up what region they're in and then contact um, an, an existing endurance rider that can perhaps give them some advice and maybe even take them out on a training ride. That would be the probably, I, I love that idea yeah. because uh-huh. then you get to see whether you actually uh-huh. want to do this or if it's just nuts. Right. And yeah. then you get to see all of the gear in person and ask questions about it and see how it actually works and um yeah. I love that. I, I think that's a great idea. So give the address and, again. Uh, go ahead, Helena. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, um, start with Karen's blog. Her website is, an, I mean, that's what really impressed me is she has so much information there and a really great list of links on all of these resources from the the newbie rider to uh, gear and hardware and equipment. I, I don't know. All I'm seeing mm-hmm. on her blog is pictures of food. So... Uh, on her blog, I see ice cream here on the home page, and then, <laughs> and then uh, uh, there's, Glenn, there's pictures on her Facebook goodness. page of all the food they cook for these people. That's obviously <laughs> important when you've been on the trail oh, for a long time. We, 
going. We were really bad at the ride last week. We went over to Costco and bought crab, crab legs and ribeye steaks, and we had, like, the best dinner ever. <laughs> it was great. My husband's like, geez, you don't even eat this good when you're home. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, and we'll, we have to wrap here shortly. Uh, Rachel, uh, is it Rosenthal, is... Is that who I'm thinking of here? Um, um, Rachel Shackelford. Shackelford, yes. Um, mm-hmm. There's another Rachel Rosenthal. But Rachel, she, we have had her on our morning show a couple of times, and she came in second in Tevas last year as, what, a 17 or 18-year-old mm-hmm. uh, youngster. And you just can be any age to do this, and one of the m- most well-known endurance riders is in her 70s. So... Uh, so you can't. So talk about longevity. Yeah, if you if you approach things right, yeah. and it sounds that's what Karen. It just sounds like you have that nice middle of the road approach to. I love to do this, mm-hmm. and I want to do it for a really long time, and I want my horses to do it for a really long time. So, um, well, you spend so much effort putting and time into training your horse and conditioning it, and it the experience these horses get it's priceless. They can do anything. I can ride my horses in traffic. I can ride them past llamas and barking dogs and people shooting guns. I can cross water. And so they get all this experience. And and so I want to keep being able to ride that horse. I don't want to have to start all over again and teach another horse how to deal with all of that. And and that's why I really appreciate my experienced horses so much. Not they to mention the rattlesnakes, anything. the bears, and the mountain lions. We didn't mention those. And, Exactly, and actually I've had several snake encounters last summer. I rode the Pony Express ride um, from St. Joseph, Missouri, all the way back. Oh, to yeah, we did a show on that. Yeah, yeah. We did a show on that. Yeah, I rode, I rode 2,040 miles on these two horses, and I think in the first two or three weeks, I think I had something like 17 snake sightings. Yeah. So I've had plenty of encounters with wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think um, well we're going to post links to your website and um, as well as some of the other in- endurance sites because, I, like I said, you do have a lot of information, and um, you also have uh, you also have a Facebook page, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so so we're going to put, um, you can find Karen on Facebook. We'll put links to her website, uh, Karen's Musings and Endurance Ride Stuff. If you're at all interested, I know I'm really interested in it. Um, it might be something I can do with Pi, Glenn, and then I wouldn't yeah. have to sell him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have a, my Arab Saddlebred is, uh, the, he has no shortage of energy and just plenty of power and is a really good thinker. This might be a lot of fun for him. Um so anyway, we will post lots of information at stablescoop.com and people can find you. And uh, maybe we'll have to have you back and you can give us another endurance update sometime. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure. Well, she was great. I love hearing about endurance. Endurance people are so much fun and it's like a great <laughs> big family because they have to spend so much time together. I know. I know. I, 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 and looking at the pictures of her on her Facebook page and her blog, she just has a, a beautiful smile. And I don't know if it's because she was born with it or because she's just so happy <laughs> riding her horses. I have to say it's because she smiles with her whole being. And I, I think that this is a person who really, really loves the sport. And I'm infected. I'm officially infected. Yeah, I think Jennifer is too. And when we moved to Ocala, a lot of the endurance riders now train there over the winter. They come to Ocala because there's so many miles of trails. 
and it's wooded and it you know shady in some spots and sandy and it's good on their feet and everything. So uh, I think she's looking forward to giving that a try, and uh, we'll, we'll keep everybody informed of how she does on uh, hopefully on her first ride with our quarter horse of all things. Beaker. <laughs> I may be shipping pie down to Ocala before I know it. <laughs> I tell you, it's coming. I'm going to get a tax. It's going to be from Jennifer. What's pie doing? <laughs> All right, let's do our tack and habit segment for the week. Regular listeners to the show know that we love Kentucky Performance Products. And that's an easy thing to do because Kentucky Performance Products stand behind their products and they believe in them. Your complete satisfaction is guaranteed. If you are unsatisfied with any of their products, they will gladly refund your money. Does your horse or pony get fat on air alone? Is he living in a dry lot or turned out with a muzzle? Can't feed him more than a handful of grain and some hay? Then you need microphase. Microphase is a great way to ensure your horse or pony gets all of the nutrients he needs to stay healthy without adding calories to his diet. Microphase contains the vitamins and trace minerals not found in grass or hay, and your horse will eat it right out of your hand. You can learn more about Microphase and all of the products from Kentucky Performance Products by visiting kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Check out Microphase. All right, what have you got for us this week on Tack and Habit? I got something shiny. I got something <laughs> shiny. <laughs> well, Glenn knows and often teases me a little bit about um, my affection for shiny, bright, flowery, girly, crazy things. And uh, I'm very happy to say that Ovation now makes a line of helmet covers that are just the bee's knees. Uh, I, the first ones I found were a shiny, um, it, it they fit over like you know your your new GPAs and your your Charles Owens, but they have a stripe down the middle. You're that's talking about it. the metallic ones, aren't you? The metallic ones, yeah, yes. they're shiny metallic. And uh, Ovation has their Zox line, so this falls under the Zox, like they have Zox socks. Well, now yep. they have Zox helmet covers. And like I said, the first ones I found were um, the the metallic, and the colors were they're. I guess they have blue, they have hot pink, they have gold, they have silver, they have red. I want one of each. <laughs> They're really cute. And it's all stretchy nylon, you know, lycra material. So um, it's easy to put on and, and take off. And I, I don't know, they're just really kind of fab looking. For eighteen ninety five. I thought, what a fun way to go out in school, you know, or go for a trail ride. Um, but then as I started, you know, hunting around, I saw that they're – Zox line, they have print helmet covers as well. So there's flowers and there's all kinds of stripes. I can see you in the 60s looking hippie flowery ones. Um, At first I thought so. I thought those are kind of cool. They also have like tie-dye and paisley patterns and then stripe patterns but my favorite are definitely the metallic. I'd go for sparkle over flowers any day. I've seen these and saw these in person, and they're, you can see these a mile away. They'd be great yeah, for endurance riders. <laughs> I know. I know. I think it's fun. I'm like, who wants to wear, like, day glow orange in the woods so, you know, no one's going to shoot you? Put on one of these helmet covers. <laughs> you know, maybe you think you're a peacock or something. But I just thought they were a really sweet, fun, new addition to equestrian gear. And like I said, for 1895, it's a small investment for a little bit of fun. 
Yeah, and they are, you know, that's one of the nice things about them is some of these can, you know, some helmet covers can really get up in price, and these are just the right price. Yeah. Uh, and they're, you know, they're all nylon. They're made in the United States, too. So I know. That's my favorite thing. part about it. Yeah, that's You know, uh, last year's ADA, we had talked about, um, we had found a company called Sam Shield, which was new to the helmet yep. market. Yeah. Right? The French company. Yeah. And I have to say, I am starting to see Sam Shields appear everywhere. And, and diff- you just like Sam Shields because of the guy. Oh, he was totally hot. I do not deny. <laughs> I do not deny. But I, I you know, I got an email from him too, not too long ago. Julian, Julian, Julian. That's yeah. right, Julian. Julian. How can I forget? Yeah. I know. Do I remember? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, so I'm starting to see Sam Shields, and the neat thing is that, uh, you know, obviously these are custom designed, so. You different, you know, some people have the leather strip down the middle, some just the, you know, the silver color. And they're they're just so handsome no matter what they um, which design you choose. But I I can't help but thinking, oh, my God, I'd want to protect that thing, you know, on non show days. So if you have a lovely helmet, for example, like a Sam Shield, consider a twenty dollar ovation Zox cover because uh, you want to protect that gorgeous thing on your head. All right. Great. Where can people find them? Uh, I found them at Equestrian Collections. Where else? EquestrianCollections.com. Um, the prices actually vary from thirteen ninety five to eighteen ninety five, uh, depending on which which design you get. But uh, check out EquestrianCollections.com. They carry them. Just search for Ovation Zox, and you'll find them. And we'll put a link in our show notes at StableScoop.com as well. Well, thank you, Helena, for that. Appreciate that. We'll be back again next week with another great show here at the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Did you see what number we're at? By the way. No. What We're number? At 186. We're going to be approaching 200 episodes here coming up before the oh, end of summer. Oh. That's something. Yeah. 200 weeks since we started this thing. Oh, my goodness. And okay. You know what else? What? April 24th is my 50th birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, 24th, I'll be driving back from. Now that we're moving at the end of this month, we're moving to Ocala. I have to drive back to Lexington to go to Rolex, so I'll be driving back to, uh, to, <laughs> to Lexington that day. Uh, Rolex. But, uh, yeah, so that's my 50th birthday that day. So we got our 200th episode coming up. I got my 50th birthday. Are you going to do something special, you think? Yeah, I'm driving 12 hours from... Oh, so you're driving on that day. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I, I that's thought the that special just... thing I'm doing that day. Well, you know, get, stop and get yourself a burger or something. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> Treat yeah, yourself burger. nice. No, now that I'm 50, I have to, like, get a salad. I can't get a burger <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I still have not eaten meat. Oh, you're doing good on your vegetarian kick? Yes, I am. Oh, darn, that means I lost a bet. Oh, <gasps> you took a bet? Come on. When <laughs> do I commit to something and not do it? I said three months, maybe. Has it been three Who months? Who did you now? bet with? Who would you bet? Telling. I said three months, maybe. How many months are you with? It's not even been a month. I mean, maybe it's been a month. Oh, well, then I didn't lose a bet yet. I'm still good. I have confidence. I got to check my Facebook. I have confidence that you'll fall off the bandwagon. Because I'll tell you why. Because your husband's such a good cook. And you're going to smell something cooking one day, and it's going to kill you. And then you're going to have to eat it. Well, it has been a challenge with what, <laughs> like, you know, feeding my daughter protein, traditional protein, meat protein, and then, you know, me. But he's been made, he made haddock last night. He made a batter for the fish for haddock out of Perrier. Now you eat fish. Oh, I do eat fish and eggs and milk. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'll do, so you're do not dairy, a vegan. But you're just a vegetarian. Just a vegetarian. Just red meat. Um, right. Yeah. Well, no, I won't eat chicken. Oh, I don't eat chicken either. Okay. 
Right. So no chicken, no pork, no beef, no buffalo, um, you know, no rabbit. Just, just fish and eggs and dairy. All right. I got two months yet. Keep me informed. Okay. All right. I want to win my five bucks. All right. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be back again next week, everybody. Have a great week. Be safe and wear your helmet covers over your helmet when you're riding. Protect your noggin. Thanks for listening. Thank you.